Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Friday, October 11th, as we continue to bask in the warm glow that is still emanating from a wonderful Wednesday night at Rogers Arena. Yes, the Canucks drubbing the Los Angeles Kings 8-2 to on the night that Bo Horvat was named captain. And, uh, you know, with these episodes being roughly 22 to 30 minutes or so, it's hard to fit in all of the talking points that I have to talk about uh, that comes out of these games. So we're going to analyze a little bit more of uh, what happened in the game on Wednesday night and talk a little bit more about uh, Bo Horvat being handed the captaincy and talk a little bit about, you know, the veterans who were on hand and the veterans, more notably, who weren't on hand to be part of of the ceremonies on Wednesday night. Now, some of those guys are going to pop up at different uh, occasions throughout the rest of the season as there are plenty of theme nights planned for this 50th anniversary season, but one of those guys will not. Uh, Doesn't seem likely anyways. Not on the cards at the time being and might change before the year is done, but then again, maybe not. We'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit here, but I do want to stay on the positive because there are so many good feelings to come out of Wednesday night's game, uh, the, not the least of which is just the very sight of Bo Horvat wearing that jersey with the C on his chest, which, again, I talked about yesterday, not really being sure about uh, you know the, all the fanfare that surrounded this entire occasion necessarily being something that I fully bought into, and yet I find everything that they've done as they've put out more and more media uh, about Bo being handed the C... I just find this stuff to be incredibly emotionally rousing. Of course, Bo Horvat revealed after the game on Wednesday night that he'd known for a little while. He'd basically had an inkling as they had conversations about it over the course of the summertime. Uh, but as soon as he arrived back in Vancouver to get started as far as you know, uh, the pre-training camp skates that they take part in, as soon as he came back to Vancouver, he was a, 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 a unofficially, officially made the captain of the Vancouver Canucks and talked about just what an honor that is. But uh, the very moment that it was revealed to the entire team before the season started that uh, Bo Horvat would be the captain of this team uh, over the course of the entire year was caught on film. And the Canucks themselves put out this tape of Travis Green making the announcement with the help of Daniel and Henrik Sedin as they brought in the former leadership core to hand that seed down to the next guy to do it. Very emotional stuff. I recommend that you watch this video. You can find it on the Canucks Twitter, at Canucks. It's their pinned tweet as I record this, and I would imagine it will stay that way for the foreseeable future, next couple days anyways. I'd recommend that you watch it because there are so many little details to appreciate here. First of all, not only do we rarely get a peek at what Travis's actual demeanor is with the players as a coach behind closed doors, which I very much appreciated as he gets things started at the beginning of the video before bringing in Henrik and Daniel, you also get to watch and gauge all of the reactions as Bo makes his first speech as captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, The best reaction of the bunch belongs to Jacob Markstrom as Markstrom looks on just with a huge mischievous grin on his face, absolutely loving every second of this for his buddy Bo. And uh, and then 
the entire locker room basically takes turns one after another, uh, just hugging Bo Horvat to congratulate him on the occasion. You can see the difference in the relationships, I think, if you uh, want to get studious as far as hug styles go. Maybe that's an article that someone out there can put together, the, the, the top 19 Bo Horvat hugs to come out of this video in ascending order. But, I mean... When you watch, uh, of course, the guys who are closer to him, Brock Besser in particular, you can tell that the moment really means a lot to these guys. And that's the real emotion of the moment that I think is lost sometimes when we analyze this team uh, microscopically. It was certainly lost on me over the course of the last week as far as looking forward to this event, uh, as the, the pomp and circumstance and ceremony of the entire uh, occasion. You know, I wasn't really buying in in the lead up to it, but... As I mentioned on the show yesterday, they did a fantastic job, and and they did it. They got me. They they uh they they got me to feel things, and that's that's really what we're here for, right? This is entertainment. As I mentioned multiple times last week, sports is supposed to entertain you. That's why you spend so much time on it. And this is a little thing that is completely unrelated to the way the season is going to play out from here, essentially, because I don't expect, and so many people have said this over the last twenty four hours not just media guys, but former players, former captains of the Canucks, the reason why Bo Horvat was chosen is that he is this guy. The C is not going to change him. We talked a little bit about how he's almost been destined for this role from the very beginning, but he was chosen because of who he is, and who he is is not going to change whether he had that letter or not. It's just a nice little moment, and you know... This is what you look for. This is what you have to appreciate over the course of an 82-game season because only one team is going to lift Lord Stanley's Cup at the end of a season, and probabilities are it is not going to be yours. The things that you have to appreciate along the way are these little human moments that we get to appreciate the players as human beings, which has been, I I think, missing a little bit on this team. Obviously, a a huge amount of emotion that went into the Sedin retirement week and and just how much this city appreciated Henrik and Daniel and still does appreciate Henrik and Daniel. Was thrilled to see both of them appear uh, during the ceremony on Wednesday night. But, you know, you go back over the course of this era of the Canucks since Jim Benning and Trevor Linden took over the team several years ago now, and part of the problem with following the team under their tenure was not only did they, you know, take over a team that was on the downslope and they made some moves that kind of accelerated uh, the badness along the way perhaps but they really gutted the personality on this team as well and that's something that I talked about a little bit last week that great personality purge where Kevin Bieksa and Zach Cassian and Eddie Lack were all cast out at the same time that really hurt the team I don't know if it hurt them on the ice necessarily like losing Bieksa at that stage of his career wasn't perhaps the biggest loss, but from a PR perspective and beyond like public relations, just the ability of fans to identify with guys on this team, because you might not have the hopes that you're going to win the Stanley Cup every single season, but you should have the ability to have a rooting interest in these guys. And to do that, you got to know something about them. You got to have some personality available to you to dig into. And luckily, we have been getting more of that of late with this young crop that's come into the team. One of the things about Brandon Sutter, in fact, is, you know, uh, he's been a whipping boy over the course of the last several seasons and a, a favorite target of mine, perhaps, on the show over the last little while. That's part of the problem is, like, 
How long has Brandon Sutter been here now? He's into his fourth year with the team. What do I even know about this guy? Who is he as a personality? I have no idea. And the team could probably do a better job of selling me on that. The team could probably do a better job of selling the entire city on that, I guess, with a lot of these players who become whipping boys. You know, uh, there's people who don't necessarily like Jay Beagle a whole heck of a lot or just don't appreciate the contract and what he gets paid, perhaps. You can, you know, make him available, make create a little mini documentary about him going about his business, put out content, videos like this for, you know, the, the market to consume and feel more attached to these guys as people than they currently do. Honestly, one of the great things that came out over the last couple days had nothing to do with the captaincy at all, and it was entirely uh, just the personality of this young group and and how much this city wants to love these guys. Yes, we like their play on the ice, but there's something about these guys. Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, they seem like they are different as far as the hockey players that have come through this town right now. Thomas Drance called them the breakfast club in the armies the other night after the game, and it's that that trio is going out and eating waffles together every morning lately since they've uh, come back to Vancouver and gotten this season started. And that, you know, it seems like an insignificant thing. Obviously, players eat breakfast. Obviously, we know that. Obviously, players are human beings. They eat food. They they nourish themselves for sustenance, all that stuff. But I want personality. I want signs of friendship and bonding between these teammates because as these guys join together, we join with them. We feel a part of that friendship. This is what connects you to a team. And there is a connection problem in this city right now. Yes, a big win like they had the other night in the home opener goes a long way to fixing that. But when you go to a bar lately uh, to watch the game, you are not getting the game with sound on. There is no commentary on Canucks games largely at most of the bars that you're going to go out and try to watch the game at. That's just the way this city is right now. If there was a bigger connection with this team, if there was more investment in them emotionally, not just as far as winning goes, but wanting to see these players as people, as individuals succeed, you might see a bigger buy-in from the city at large. That's all I'm saying. And speaking of buy-in and atmosphere as you watch the games, of course, you're not going to get commentary uh, in your seats if you head to the arena. But the good folks at Vivid want to help lighten your load as far as what it takes you to buy in to see some of the great games that the Canucks are going to play at Rogers Arena this season. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concerts, shows, and hockey games of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event as well. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all of the live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. And every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee, so you know you're going to get in the building. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. So download the app and join in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Like, for example, maybe seeing your Vancouver Canucks score a healthy eight goals on home ice and let the Vivid Seats app 
help you get to your favorite live event, just enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That's promo code POSTSEASON, where the Canucks might be going if they play more like they did on Wednesday. Now, there were a couple of key figures that were missing from the festivities on Wednesday night. Yes, you probably noticed that despite the effort to have representatives from every era of the Canucks on hand to be a part of the opening ceremony and handing the seat to Bo Horvat on opening night, uh, a couple of key omissions as far as very important figures in the history of this team, and one of which should be corrected as far as uh, these events as uh, alumni come back for anniversary nights as the season goes along. Matt Sakaris of TSN 1040 doing a great job of uh, breaking the story of why Trevor Linden was not at the event on Wednesday. He would have liked to be there, apparently, but had booked a vacation to be out of town months in advance and perhaps uh, was not notified uh, months in advance from the Canucks that they would have liked his presence at this event. Uh, You know, things seem contentious between Trevor and the organization. He's not one to speak publicly about the way things went down. All of the interviews that he's given in the time since then have largely been to promote Orange Theory Fitness and Trevor Linden Fitness World, and hockey questions are uh, limited to a minimum, if possible. He's not uh, been very insightful as far as how things soured between him and the Aquilinis, but it is clear that a souring did occur there. I've been comparing this whole captaincy thing over the last couple of weeks to professional wrestling, and look, there's a there's a parallel there as well in that uh, never say never. The door is never shut. People always come back to the Fed. Bret Hart can punch Vince McMahon in the face, and 20 years later, they're still doing business together. So... Uh, I would imagine that Trevor Linden uh, will return to the organization even as just a figurehead, as someone who appears in situations such as this. Look, there was a time where uh, people in this city believed that Pavel Bure would never uh, get a moment like uh, his jersey retirement night, that Pavel Bure would never make amends with this team given the way he went out of town. Hell, people probably would have said the same thing about Todd Bertuzzi on some level, and part of the... uh, outpouring of emotion for Bertuzzi on Wednesday night is the fact that it felt like an opportunity to finally kind of close the door and get that sort of closure on a very important relationship between the hockey fans in this city and their team somewhere, you know, a a guy who left under odd circumstances and who had a bunch of lingering feelings that were never really resolved. Fans really felt like they could shut the door on whatever lingering doubts that they might have felt about Todd Bertuzzi's place within the history of this organization. And Trevor Linden, a much more important player than Todd Bertuzzi in the grand scheme of things to what this team has accomplished over the years. Trevor Linden will be back. He will probably be attending uh, some of the events set for February later this season. So, you know, if you were worried about what his absence said about the relationship between Linden and ownership, I wouldn't worry about that nearly as much as I would be inclined to worry about it in the case of Roberto Luongo. You know, no lack of emotional connection in this city to Roberto Luongo, who has played all kinds of roles over the course of uh, his tenure here and even the years after when he went back to Florida. There was some, you know, rocky times in the Luongo-Vancouver relationship, but I think... 
you know, if if there's been enough time, enough time has passed to feel the way we feel about Todd Bertuzzi today, I would hope that there has been enough time that's passed to heal all wounds in this Roberto Luongo relationship as well. Because, yes, a contentious figure with the fans at times didn't always say the right things, didn't always handle everything the right way, didn't always live up to the emotion of the moment uh, in the playoffs, perhaps. I know that's a huge point of contention with the fans who do not like him. And I counted myself among those people towards the end of his tenure in Vancouver. It would be frustrating, the inconsistencies of watching this guy go from a living deity between the pipes to somebody who was uh, all too human and and fallible at times. But uh, I digress. (laughs) What is concerning to me is that not just Roberto Luongo was not at the event. He seems to have been sort of erased from all of the festivities surrounding the entire team throughout the season. Full kudos to the promotional team, to the video production and graphic design team on everything that they have put in to all of the promotional material that they have released in advance and during this 50th anniversary season because all of their ad campaigns around this have been exceptional. But there's been one exception to that exceptional content. And as you look at who is featured as, you know, uh, historical figures within the history of the Vancouver Canucks, yes, I understand for that photo spread that they did with the five captains, it's representing one captain from every decade. Yes, I understand that. I got that a lot. As I mentioned, the fact that Luongo has been oddly erased from Canucks history on Twitter the other day. But when you think about that and, you oh, there's a rule that they only had one, Who do you think came up with that rule? It's not like handed down from hockey gods that, oh, you know, the scripture says we can only have one. No, they decided to do that. And why did they decide to do that? So that they could exclude certain people. And unfortunately, the relationship between Roberto Luongo and this ownership group really feels strained right now. And I have nothing to base this on other than just general appearances and the odd kind of way that Luongo questions were handled during Francesco Aquilini's radio interview with Sat Shaw and John Jang on Sportsnet 650 last week. He he paid lip service to the fact that, yes, Roberto was a very important player over the course of this franchise's history, but then he immediately switched gears to talk about cap recapture and well, I don't know what's going on with him as a human being or what his situation is and why he decided to retire instead of going on long-term injured reserve, but we fought hard about cap recapture. and blah. If you're mad about cap recapture, and there are plenty of fans who are, it's not Luongo's fault that his contract was deemed illegal years after the fact that he signed it. You know, After the point that he put ink to paper, the league retroactively decided, okay, this is not okay anymore. At the time, it was fully within the rules to sign the deal that Luongo did. So you cannot hold this against the player and say, well, it's his fault that we lose $3 million in cap space for the foreseeable future, and I'm going to hold that against him. It's silly for fans to feel that way. It's especially silly for the owner of this hockey team to feel that way. This is not Roberto Luongo's fault. It is the NHL just sticking the boots to Vancouver like they always do. Did Roberto Luongo decide to retire as a favor to the Florida Panthers? Yes, he did. But maybe he has a reason to feel more attached to the Panthers and do them that solid than he does to do a solid for the Vancouver Canucks who, you know, uh, I don't know, just 
parked him in one of the most important games of his career in the Heritage Classic, and then shipped him back to Florida for uh, spare parts. Though Jacob Markstrom, maybe not a spare part after all. We'll touch more on that in a second. It's not just that Luongo is missing from that photo. It's not just that as a captain of this team, Roberto Luongo has been practically erased from history. He was the captain of the Canucks as a goalie in the NHL for two seasons, and he was... I think there's a lot of people who want to buy into revisionist history that that the whole thing was a mess and that they never should have done that. Roberto Luongo was the best player on that team. He had the competitive spirit to lead that team. He was the locker room leader of that team. If you want to make the argument that, you know, the qualities that make a captain are abundantly obvious in the way that they handled themselves and their their ability to lead the team on the ice, Mike Gillis and Elaine Vigneault made the decision at that time that Roberto Luongo was their captain. And and it was Vigneault's decision to hear Luongo talk about it, as he did get into it a little bit with Thomas Drance and the Armies. Jeez, this whole podcast seems like uh, viral marketing for the Armies at this point. But great stuff from Tom there to, to talk to Luongo, somebody who he's obviously connected with through his years in Florida. And Luongo talked about how he got named and how that all went down, like... That happened, and it wasn't a mistake. They changed their mind eventually because things just got difficult. You can't be perhaps as critical as a, as a captain as you might want to be when you're also the guy who uh, is standing behind a defense and probably wants to roast them for the way they've hung you out to dry at times. It's an incredibly unique visual to have a guy with the C on his chin, on his helmet, and it's an incredibly important player in the history of this franchise. You know, a lot of people are attached to Captain Kirk, and that's fair, that's fine. But as good as Kirk was, as good as Kirk McLean has been for this team over the course of their history, Roberto Luongo is flat out easily the best goaltender in the history of this franchise. No matter what your mixed feelings about him might be, he is the best goalie that Vancouver has ever seen. He was a very unique captain of this team, And it's not about being a part of perhaps that ceremony. Sure, I'll concede the fact that, yes, they picked one representative of each decade. It's the fact that when you look at all of this fabulous video content that the team has put together, and as I said, hats off to the group with the Canucks who've done all of this, uh, Luongo was just missing from all of it. You've got Pavel Bure. He wasn't a captain. You've got Greg Adams, of course. You've got all these huge moments in Canucks history, and the only time Luongo appears in any of those videos is as a member of the Florida Panthers getting scored on as Henrik Sedin potted his 1,000th NHL point. Great. It's a milestone goal. Wonderful. Yes, absolutely, perhaps include that. I don't think it's as important of a moment, however, as, say, I don't know, Henrik's quadruple overtime winner against the Dallas Stars in the playoffs. There are other Henrik Sedin goals. It just feels oddly petty that Luongo's only appearance in any of this 50th anniversary material is as a Panthers goalie getting scored on by a Canucks star forward. This is a very important player for this team, a guy who a lot of people had complicated feelings about perhaps at the time, but, it, but again, I have to stress, if we can love Todd Bertuzzi now and be open about that and not made to feel guilty about it by 
out-of-touch Eastern media types who don't understand why one of the best players to ever play the game for a team would be received that way that Todd was on Wednesday. If we can feel that way about Todd Bertuzzi, I have to think that enough time has passed for us to bury the hatchet and just feel nothing but love for Roberto Luongo as a human being because, oh boy, did it become immediately easy to love him as soon as he left Vancouver. Just his web presence and the personality that he always had. He became comfortable being himself in front of the media. He changed after he left. He changed while he was here, in fact. The opinion about him changed entirely before he left people finally realized that oh hang on a second as much as we might want this guy gone and want to anoint Corey schneider as the next guy between the pipes in vancouver roberto is getting a raw deal he is a sympathetic figure and that is how he was embraced right before he was traded it's funny that history so happens that you know people came around and embraced him right before he left and then embraced him even more after he was gone if he's not involved with anything this year, and it certainly doesn't seem like he is, as uh, Francesco Aquilini said, well, you know, they're going to retire his number in Florida this season. We don't have any plans to do that. We're a little busy with our 50th anniversary at the moment. Uh, you can't involve Luongo in anything related to the 50th anniversary. I really want to see this guy come back. I want to see the ovation that Luongo would receive because if you think Rogers Arena came unglued for Todd Bertuzzi, that we got a love for Todd out here on the West Coast, I guarantee you that building would shake the foundations. You would feel it on the Richter scale, the love that they would show for the guy who came back in the Bertuzzi trade. What we are going to see tomorrow, however, is the return of one of the great coaches of this franchise and, of course, the coach that made Roberto Luongo captain low so many years ago. And that's Elaine Vigneault now behind the bench of the Philadelphia Flyers. They roll into town Tomorrow night to take on the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena. Puck drop at 7 p.m. And I'll be back tomorrow morning with a game day preview of that game. Talk a little bit about the history of Vigno with this team, perhaps. And also, finally get into a, a little bit of Jacob Marstrom, who I think is the stealthy story of Wednesday. Spectacular in that victory and has almost gone unheralded as all of the attention goes on all of those goals until I come back and talk to you tomorrow and might even have a guest to do just that. You've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.